Beers and Tears would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land from which we conduct this podcast, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waterways and sky of this beautiful place, and we pay our respects to Elders past and present, and extend that respect to all First Nations people present today, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This episode is proudly sponsored by the beautiful studio space at Small Time Group. Supporting emerging artists to refine their products, develop a plan, and connect with peers and the industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Beers and Tears. Today, I'm joined with Dan from Slowly Slowly. Hi, how are you today? Hello, how are you going? Good, thank you. Um, Well, yeah, to begin with, for any new Slowly Slowly fans, do you want to give a quick rundown on how it all began and when, yeah, how the band formed, where you all met, how it all came to be? Uh, Yeah, we kicked off back in late 2015 as a bit of an internet project. Uh, where we just, uh, Alex, the bass player, the current bass player and myself were just uh, recording and releasing stuff online and I think we'd released two songs and then there was a bit of a demand for a gig so uh, we said yes to a few things and had to kind of pull in some members um, from there and yeah, we've had a couple of lineup changes over over that first initial period Um, and yeah, what sort of started off as uh, something quite small. It seems to, ha- you know, you, you push the rock up the hill and now it seems to be rolling by itself to some degree. So we're doing something right. I can't, yeah. trying to figure out what, but yeah, that's, where, that's how we got here. Cool. And you've just released, well, last year, at the end of last year, released an album called Daisy Chain. We did, um, yep. Yeah, it's kind of like a bit, bit different to the last album from Race Car Blues, a bit more of like, I guess, a bird's eye view on yourselves and your lives. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about this album and going from Race Car Blues to Daisy Chain and what were some of like the ideas and concepts that you were dabbling with with this new album? Yeah. um, So Daisy Chain was, for the most part, a record born through the isolation of the lockdowns. So um it was like a, as that time was pretty introspective, but I found it um, quite a creative period because I was, because we had nothing else to do. I was trying a lot of different sounds every day. And so, um, yeah, being able to kind of, you know, discover some new territory that maybe would fit inside the slowly wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And um, so sonically it, it, it has shifted a bit, but um, in terms of like narratively being a bit more bird's eye view, as you said, maybe it's, I mean, I kind of dart between like two styles of writing, which seems to be like either like extremely autobiographical and blunt, and then maybe like a style that's a bit more metaphorical and, um, where you kind of have to dig for the meaning of the song. You're not quite sure what it's about. Um, I feel like there's both styles on daisy chain the record i don't know i'm too close to it you have to ask someone else yeah (laughs) (laughs) i like i just hope that it's um you know 
the, the boys in the band are, are a great um, sounding board for me. So, like, because um, I, I, I write so much and I'm always trying to, um, but yeah, I get a bit close to it and they're a great, they're a great sounding board for this fits in the wheelhouse, this works, this, you know, that's, that's one of my greatest assets is having them. So um, maybe it's a question better answered by them. Yeah, totally. Do you find it difficult to kind of like see the world that the songs that you're writing live in, in terms of yeah. like an album? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, like often, you know, when we were, when we were a bit younger, we like, you know, you'd listen to albums that felt so complete, you know, that, um, uh, how do I put it? Like, you know, you were like, oh, this, you know, that everything is so consistent across this album. How did they create a world that is so consistent, you know, because you go through so many phases and different, um, your, your, you know, spurred on by different things and trends and things like that. And it's like, how did you make something that was so consistent? Cause you, you know, you have to write so many songs and then dwindle it down to an album. Um, but I think as we've gotten a little bit older, um, sort of found our voice, uh, a bit more. And so like, I think a lot of those sonic things, uh, like the way things sound as such, like they don't play as much of a role as you think they do in making things sound consistent and creating a world. It's more like once you find your voice and who you are, that seems to carry, you know, like even if I do a cover now, it feels like it's within the slowly world just because it's the way that um, I approach things. Um, yeah, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. Okay. Um, and then you've got your title track, Daisy Chain, which is a really cool track. It's kind of a bit of a like a light at the end of the tunnel sort of song for the record. Um, yeah, did you want to walk me through this track a little bit and how it came to be and why it's the title track of the album and, yeah, just like the overall recording process of the album? Yeah, for sure. I just noticed your earrings. Oh, yeah. They're, well, they're kind of like daisies, hey? <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. So, um, on brand, I planned it all out. <laughs> um, so, Daisy Chain. Um, yeah, that was probably the, the, the last song written for the record, which coincidentally was the top opening track, um, I guess because it, it did feel like that light at the end of the talent. I didn't want it to feel... Like you had to wait for the entire record to play out before you knew the ending. It was kind of already the cards on the table. Um, but um, the recording process was um, a little bit disjointed, to be honest, because it was in that lockdown period. So it was like kind of hard to get together. And um, we did things in dribs and drabs. And, you know, the final track listing didn't come together until you know, we were still like had songs up in the air and discussing what to do because because it was such a hyper creative period over that lockdown. I had so many songs. So I was like, I was like, you know, the record could go this way and it could be all, you know, this style of songs or it could go this way or it could be a mix or, you know, like so it was there was so much deliberating. Um, and to be honest, I blocked a lot of it out. But it's uh, it was um, the actual process of recording was – um, pretty seamless. I did a lot of stuff from home this time round. Um, usually we we do everything in the studio, but we were able to like extrapolate 
um, some home recordings and demos over to the final recordings this time, which is actually kind of comforting because I always get quite attached to the demos as you do. Um, and we worked with a mix engineer named Jonathan Gilmore over in the UK and he was just instrumental to tying everything together. And um, yeah, we'd, we, it was a, to find the right balance with the mixing was, um, was tricky. But when we found Jonathan, I think he was on the same wavelength with keeping things. If you listen to, say, like a song like Blueprint, you'll realize it's, um, it's kind of like trashy and garagey in a lo-fi way, but it still sounds quite, um, like maybe like high fidelity. Like it's, it still has like a high production value. And so finding that balance is really tricky because, you know, you maybe traditionally your stuff has to either be, you know, really like home recorded lo-fi garage kind of thing or, you know, shiny pop, but we wanted to straddle that in some way. So yeah, it was, it was tricky. Yeah. That's interesting with that. Cause like your sound is quite, you know, it's needs to have that grungy sort of element and then it goes to production and production can be like really hectically refined and then it yeah. sounds almost too clean. And then you're like, wait, this is, it doesn't really like fit with how it would naturally sound if you were to play it live. So it's interesting how to, how you get that sort of balance of the in-between. Yeah. It's always hard, like inserting guitars into pop music because they, guitars and cymbals are two things that take up an extreme space in the frequency spectrum of recording. And so from a mixed perspective, the reason you can turn up a hip hop song or, you know, a, a pop song so loud on your stereo and it's not fatiguing on your ears is because there's not, you know, the vocals have so much space to live. Whereas in a rock environment where you have, you know, busy guitars and, um, you know, lots of cymbals and stuff, it's really hard to achieve the same, I don't know what you maybe like cleanliness in the recording because it's just full of all of these other, you know, wily elements. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. And you've got a collaboration on this album um, yep. on Moving Trains and it's a collaboration with Dashboard Confessional. How did this collaboration come to be and how did this track come to be? I read that it was in the in the bank for a while. Yeah, this this song's so old. Um, it was even pre-slowly, this song. Like, it was banging around, um, you know, me, me and Alex made a, a demo of this years before. Um, slowly was even a thing. But we just never could get the energy right for the song. And then um, during that lockdown period, because I was revisiting a lot of old material and, you know, looking for inspiration in maybe corners that were overlooked over the years that song that song always popped up like in the batch of demos for for each slowly release like we we're like maybe we give moving trains a go again you know we made an acoustic version of it one time and um you know change the key change the time signature like trying to make it work but um then kind of i wrote uh i wrote some extra parts for it and yeah, it just seemed to just fall together in that space that was like, I don't know, we kind of describe it as like a like a pop-punk killers or something. Yeah. I don't know. It kind of like lives in that world. But um, which, uh, yeah, and, and like all through that period, you know, I'm listening to Dashboard and 
and Chris's songwriting is like, you know, it just goes hand in hand, I think, with that style. So um, when we hit him up to write a verse and to sing some harmonies across the song and um, he was just so easy to work with. It was like, yeah, that song was arguably the easiest song on the record to put together, which is, um, you know, uh, silly considering how many moving parts the whole thing had and it just fell together. And then some of the other songs that were, you know, um, seemingly maybe simple from the onset were just difficult. So that's, yeah, that one was like no-brainer. Yeah. yeah. It seems to be going off live too. We played it for the first time on the weekend in Newcastle. Um, and yeah, it pumps. Yeah, sick. It's so interesting how like after all that time, it just kind of <laughs> fell into place. I know it felt strangely serendipitous or something because it was, um, you know, that the song is this like initially written as what maybe my take was back then on being like a romantic song. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just, and then years later, you know, having, you know, some semblance of what you'd maybe call wisdom is like, uh, I see it as just such a a pitiful self-deprecating, like almost like just self-attack the whole thing, where it's just a a huge what was me. And it's like, um, so being able to kind of write some new lyrics through that lens and almost, uh, just like um, bookend the process was like kind of therapeutic, you'd say, maybe. Yeah, I was literally just talking about that, like the concept of writing something, like writing a song based on the experiences that you've had like years ago and being able to like use the tools that you have now in your life to like reanalyze what was actually happening in that period and like rewrite that in your own brain and headspace of where you are now. Oh, absolutely. Like it's... um. You know, most I think like journaling in itself is like such a powerful tool and that's essentially what as songwriters what we're doing. We're mm-hmm. just trying to like writing stuff down can often help you process it and, um, uh, yeah, I, I see the benefit of it like 100%. So, yeah, I, I get you. Sweet. And you're playing Groove in the Move. Um, yeah. Over this month. Yeah. Um, who are you most excited to see? You're also on tour at the moment. Um, and like, I guess, what does a slowly, slowly show look like? What can people expect if they're coming to one of your shows? Oh, wow. Um, well, it's a quick slot. I think our set time is half an hour because there's so many artists on Groovin. Um, we're just so excited. Like, um, we've played a couple of festivals that tour like you know they're in multiple places and um and we've played quite a few day festivals and there is like a real difference in the vibe backstage with a touring festival because you know um especially something something that goes for as long as groove in the mood because you're you know you're seeing other artists like at multiple junctures throughout like a month and then you're also um, you know, that being like the airport, you know, um, and you just, everyone's on the same like sleeping schedule and everyone's a bit out of it. And it's like a extreme experience that creates extreme friendships. So like you always, um, I think it's a bit more of you move as like a cohort in a festival like that. So, um, 
we've been so excited. We, we were placed on a lineup in 2020 for Groovin, but obviously missed out um, on it all eventuating. But so this is like uh, an important one for us because it was like the one that got away. Yeah, for sure. It's also an all ages festival, which is something you're quite passionate about. The rising youth in the music industry and ensuring that they like get some good opportunities and yeah, how do you how do you kind of feel about being able to like play all at all ages shows? Yeah, because it's like it's it it's becoming like increasingly difficult to to play all ages events because you know it, it costs a lot. Like a lot of the venues make their money on alcohol sales, so it's you know it, it you, you pay a lot of fees. Not fees is probably not the right word, but it just like it starts to become like maybe a little bit less financially viable to you know. It's and and it's such an important part of like um, growing up and seeing your favorite artists, like um, and not just us, but you know, like uh, I think I think it's just super important. Like I've been affiliated with Freezer for a while um, back like where I live here in Melbourne, and um, you know, if they ever ask us to be involved in anything to do with the push or one of the council run shows that are all ages, like we're just all in like yeah because it's that was where i saw like a lot of my favorite bands um growing up i mean they it was it was a lot more prevalent like you know our youth center that was around the corner from my house had you know some really big name bands like coming through playing in the burps and it's just not something you see like a lot so we try and do a bit quite a lot of regional touring but we'd love to get some more all ages stuff in there but grooving the moves like just such a huge platform for that so like um we keep hearing that like the the general like behavior of the crowd is like it the festival is full from like a really early time during the day because everyone is just there to see as much music as possible mm-hmm. and that for me is like reminiscent of like big day out and stuff like when i was growing up get like you could go to big day out as a 14 year old so like i used to go to big day out and um you know, you line up in the barrier on in the sun and just wait there for, you know, 16 hours and not yeah. eat and just to see as much music as you could. And so, um, yeah, I guess grooving is, it's that. Yeah, for sure. The all ages gigs always, I feel like they just go way harder than any, any overage gig ever. Everyone's just like so much more keen to be there and see everything and be a part of everything. Yeah, totally. And it's just like, it's it's a non, I don't know if you recall like the playlists or the artists that you'd listen to around those mid-teen years, but it's like, it's so eclectic. Like you just, you're so less judgmental with music. Like people have, are still building their identities. So they're just so much more open to listening to stuff. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Yeah. yeah. Nick, like you get older and it's all, it's so much more like nostalgic when you're listening to like bands that you were listening to when you were 14. I still go see them live because it's just like feels so yeah. nostalgic no. to experience. Nothing compares. Yeah, for sure. Well, finally, who, who are you most keen, I guess, to see before going into the whole Groovin experience um, on the lineup? Jeez. Um, it's a test of your memory now. <laughs> yeah. Um, who were the – well, like our our lighting director in our band and some of the other guys are just giant fans of um, – what's the 
Oh my god, it starts with F. The giant DJ is playing Fatboy Slim. That's oh it. yeah. Um, yeah, and so we're like we listen to Fatboy Slim quite a bit on the weekend in the van, and I think that's just going to be a mega moment because it's like oh, headline yeah. set. So that's the culmination point. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just we're like we'll see a lot of music because we have a day set. Like we'll be on ground, wandering around, watching. Like we'll be able to be a little bit more involved. I can't. Uh, I struggle a bit to be present before a set. Mm. Um, so I'll I'll probably be like hiding away, doing my thing free set. But then because we we play kind of early in the day, we'll just be you know we'll be we'll be in there. Yeah. Find me in the pit. Find you in the pit. I will. I'll be there. I'm, keen. I'm so keen for Alt J. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Epic. Um, Who are you most excited to see? Alt J. Definitely. Yeah. Alt J is like has been on my like list of people to see since it's one of those people when I was like 14, 15. And I was like, I fucking love Alt J so much. Um, and then I kind of didn't listen for a while and they released another album and I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. And yeah, then I found out they were playing group and I was like, I have to go see this. This is little me would never let me not go see this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, well, thank you so much for having a chat today. It's been lovely. Oh, no worries. Yeah. Thanks for having me. 